Well, good to see you, church family, this morning. I'm excited. We are diving back into the book of Daniel, and I will remind you, as we've been walking through the book of Daniel, Daniel, especially these first six chapters, really force us as, as Christians to, uh, to wrestle with the question, how do we walk with God faithfully when we live in a world that is both hostile and really, if we embrace who God has made us to be as Christians, feels like a place of exile. It's not our home. How do we do that? How do we walk faithfully with God in the midst of a world that is filled with fiery furnaces and lion's dens? And maybe even more so than just how do we walk, how do we walk with God in such a way that when it comes our turn in the lion's den, we're able to sleep through the night? Well, God's got a word for that, so I invite you to take your Bibles with me and turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6, you can find the Pew Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd invite you to use it. Now, we're actually going to pick up at the end of chapter 5, verse 30. So look with me, Daniel 5, verse 30. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. Now, you'll remember, last time we were in Daniel, we we were looking at the last night of the Babylonian Empire when Belshazzar, who's the son of King Nabonidus, but Nabonidus is absent, so Belshazzar is practically the, the regent, the ruler, the king of Babylon, and they're throwing a big party as Persia is outside their walls. They think they're impenetrable, and in the midst of this party, handwriting on the wall, a hand shows up and writes, and they call Daniel in, and, and he tells them, tonight you're going to fall. This is the end of Babylon. So it says, that same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. And then it says, so Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. And so we're introduced now to a new ruler, Darius the Mede of the Mede-Persian Empire. And there is debate as to the precise identity of Darius. Uh, and time doesn't permit us to get in all that today. But simply what we know is Darius the Mede received the kingdom of Babylon around the age of 62 and ushers in a new rule, a new empire is now, is now a world power, and now a new empire has now taken control over the captive Jews who are still in exile. So it seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom that they would be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, three commissioners, of whom Daniel was one, that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. So here's what it says. He, he comes in, new ruler, new leader for the new empire, and he sets up a new administration filled. And, and satrap there, both uh, there is a, a very precise position in the Persian empire of satrap. Here it's really being used more generally to refer to all of these various levels of administrators and officials all of whom ultimately apported to three officials who were under Darius. And of those three officials, Daniel was one. Now, remember Daniel, at this point, Daniel's now been pulled back into service. Daniel at this point is, is around the age of 80. He's had a very successful full life and career in the political arena under King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Now, now he's 80, he's been brought back into the fold and look what it says, then this Daniel began distinguishing himself. He began to stand out among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So here's Daniel 
Around the age of 80, still walking with God, God's anointing still on his life, God's presence still in his life, God's hand still on his life. And, and because of what God has made and purposed Daniel to be, and as Daniel has walked faithfully with God, he works in such a way with God's hand on his life that he begins to be distinguished. And Darius looks at it and goes, you know what? There's, it's very clear. There, there's one person who's a cut above everybody else. We're going to take Daniel and I'm going to make him the number two man in the land. So it says the commissioners, the satraps, they began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. They're going to find, they're going to find some dirt to try to come against Daniel, but they could find no ground of accusation or evidence of corruption. In every way, he was faithful. No negligence or corruption was found to be in him. They can't find anything. What a statement of great character. We can't find where he's lazy, he works hard. We can't find where he slacks off, he works with excellence. We can't find where he's corrupt or where he twists the truth or, or where he might have covered something. We can't find anything to try to bring against him before the king says, then these men said, we will not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. I see Daniel lived out while he was respectful and faithful and, and, and did his work with excellent to serve uh, pagan rulers. At the same time, he obviously very publicly lived out a life of faithfulness to the one true God. Because even these, these enemies, these who have become jealous of him, they, they recognize the only chance they have is to try to, to try to attack Daniel for his faith. And so look what they do. Then these commissioners and the satraps came by agreement to the king, and they spoke to him as follows, King Darius, live forever. Cat, now listen carefully. All the commissioners of the kingdom the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have all consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or any man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Here's what they do. They come, it says, they, they came by agreement, or what, maybe a better way to under, understand this, they, they all conspired together, they hatched a plan that they were completely unified on, and they came to the king. And they show up to the king, and did you notice how they deceive the king? Hey, we have spoken with all the officials. Well, you didn't speak to Daniel. Also, do you realize we think snail mail moved slow in our day. Do you know how slow snail mail moved in Daniel's day? They didn't likely talk to the 120 satraps in addition to the prefects. And the so they come in with a plan to deceive the king, and they play on the king's pride like we see many rulers. King, make it, make it to where nobody can, can pray, nobody can seek, no one can petition except through you. And do it in such a way, king, according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians. This will be the first time we see this phrase appear of three. There, there is a, 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 a prohibition in Median Persian law that's, that's going to be such that when the, king signs, when, the, when the king signs the bill into law, it can't be undone for any reason. 
So what did the king do? Now it's interesting here. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna throw this in your minds and just keep this in your mind until we get to the end. We already know the king trusts, Darius trusts Daniel more than anybody else that he's got around him. Why does he not call for Daniel? No, instead, it doesn't say he calls for Daniel. Look, it says, therefore, King Darius signed the document, that is the injunction. Now, when Daniel knew this document was signed, he receives word. Look at what it says. He entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had his windows open towards Jerusalem, and he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. What is Daniel's response? This man who's, who's in the twilight of his life, who has been thrust back into service, who is continuing to, to serve with excellence and vigor, what is his response to the news that once again, danger has come to his doorstep? It's to go seek God the same way he's done all his life. He doesn't change a thing. He doesn't change a thing. It says he, he, once he knew, he entered the house up to that second story room where the windows were open. Not only does he not change a thing, he's gonna go and pray three times a day like, he, like is his habit, but he's not gonna hide it either. He could have said, well, maybe I should shut, shut the blinds, close the blinds, shut the shutters. No, he leaves them open. Why does he pray three times a day? Because he's read the ex exhortation of the prophet Jeremiah. Why does he pray with his windows open facing towards Jerusalem? Because that's the words of King Solomon that whenever God's people are in another land and under distress, they should pray facing the temple where God's presence resides. What is he doing? He is faithfully following the Lord. He is faithfully seeking the Lord. He is faithfully petitioning the Lord. He is faithfully, did you catch it? He went in to pray and to give thanks. Danger has come to his doorstep and he is down on his knees in a posture of humility, praising God for the greatness of who he is, as he had done every day prior for decades. In fact, so known is his faithfulness to God that it's the reason he gets arrested. Look, these men came again in agreement, and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. These guys know when Daniel prays because, because he is like clockwork in his faithfulness to God. Okay, I mean, can, you, can you imagine that? Here's Daniel. He gets news. He's up there, and, and you, got the, you got the officials who hate him, and they're going, hey, is it that time? Let's go. Oh, look, there he is right on right on cue. So they approached and spoke to the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to you or any God besides you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast in the lions? And hey, king, didn't you sign this? And the king said, it's true. Not only is it true, but according to the law of the Medes and Persians, it can't be revoked. Then they said, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, notice the, again, trying to demean Daniel, and notice what they say, he pays no attention to you, O king. He has wronged you personally or to the injunction which you signed, but he continues making his petition three times a day. He doesn't respect you, king. He doesn't honor you. He doesn't value you. He doesn't value the law. He's off over there doing it. And you signed, the trap is now sprung. Now, Darius is a little different than Nebuchadnezzar. Look at his response. 
Then as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed. And he set his mind, he put everything into action on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. You see, there is a true love and respect that Darius has for Daniel. And when all of a sudden it washes over, Darius realizes he's been duped. Daniel wasn't in on this rule. Daniel wasn't in on this bill passing through the, the halls of Persian government. In fact, the entire reason for the bill was because of the envy, the jealousy of a bunch of corrupt and lazy officials to whom Daniel is a threat solely because Daniel does his work with excellence and faithfulness, honoring both the king and, more importantly, honoring God himself. And so the king spends the rest of his day doing everything he can, researching every law. You can imagine him going into the royal courts, pulling out the different scrolls, seeking, is there any loophole? Is there any way I can veto this, that we can do away with this law? Is there any way to rescue Daniel? And as he's doing this, the men come back in agreement, and they say, recognize, O king, this is a law of the Medes and Persians. No injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed. Now, that's the third time we've seen that phrase repeated. And when you see things repeated, especially in Old Testament narrative, there's a reason for it. Realize what it's saying. The most powerful human being in the world is unable to do anything to rescue Daniel. Daniel has no hope for deliverance on this earth. Not even the king can save him. So the king gave orders. Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. And as this is happening, the king speaks to Daniel. May your God, whom you constantly serve, himself deliver you. The king speaks up a wish. Daniel, I know you're a man of faithfulness to your God. I, I, hope, he's, I hope he can protect you. And a stone was brought, laid over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his signet ring and the signet rings of his nobles, so nothing would be changed. Then the king went off to his palace, and he spent the night fasting. No entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. So powerful was the witness and the care and the love and faithfulness of Daniel's life that this pagan official is absolutely distraught at Daniel's impending death. Then the king arose at dawn. At the break of day, he went in haste to the lion's den, and when he came near to the, to Dan, the den, to Daniel, he, he cried out in anguish. The king said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve been able to deliver you from these lions? It's a fascinating picture, church family. He rushes out there and in anguish, in doubt, in doubt, not believing there will be a response, but at the same time, hoping upon all hope, Daniel, Daniel, are you still alive? Is your, is your God able? And Daniel spoke to the king. Wasn't the king in for the greatest surprise and shock of his life? O king, live forever. It's a sign of respect. King, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me because I was innocent before him and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. Did you catch what Daniel said? You see this incredible mixture. Here's Daniel who is spent the night in, in, in what should have been his grave because of pagan rulers and a pagan ruler who was unable to protect him. 
He's, he's in this grave, yet he shows respect to that ruler, not animosity. Oh, king, live forever. And then he makes clear, he says, look, I'm still alive, and here's why I'm alive, king, because before God, I'm innocent. I say, wait a minute, but, but Daniel broke the law. You're right. God calls us to honor the laws of our governing officials, except when those laws force us to worship man over God. There's a difference between bowing to Caesar and saying, Lord, than there is rendering unto Caesar the taxes that are rightfully his. And you watch, Dan, you watch Daniel walk this line perfectly. He says, look, before God, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything wrong. I have honored him by breaking the law you signed. I don't bow before you and ask you for deliverance. I bow before God. He says, at the same time, King, I'm innocent towards you. They charged me with the crime of, of being against you, but I'm actually for you. I'm, I'm just not going to bow before you as God. He says, I'm innocent before you. So the king gave his orders. It says Daniel was taken up out of the den, and they were amazed. No injury was found on him because he trusted in his God. Then it will go on to tell us that the king will round up the, uh, the officials, the, the, the ringleaders of these actions against Daniel. He'll round them up as well as their entire families. And as is very normal in, in Persian law, them and their families are thrown into the lion's den. And it says the lions, far from being old, sluggish, and tired, they are so fiercely hungry that they break the bones of every one of them before the bodies have even hit the floor. Daniel delivered. His enemies destroyed says, then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land, may your peace abound. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Why? For he is the living God and the enduring Lord. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius, even in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now catch what has happened. Daniel walks faithfully with God. God brings deliverance to Daniel. The enemies are vanquished. And here is, once again, the heart of a pagan king who recognizes there is something different about Daniel's God, who sends out a proclamation throughout the empire, which says when it comes to the God of Daniel, who, by the way, is also the God of all the Jewish people in exile, when it comes to their God, your response is not to be hostility. Your response is not to be persecution. Your response is not to be anything other than fear and trembling. Why? Because their God is the eternal God, the God who has always been God, who is God and will always be God. And because he always is God, his reign, his kingdom, his dominion, it has no beginning and it has no end. Which by default means even right now as we're the Persian empire, he actually reigns. Not only that, but, but this God, he's able to act. He acts supernaturally, powerfully. He does signs and wonders. He, he, and that word for sign is to do something supernatural, but with a focus on communicating a message. This God is the one. He can act in heaven or he can act on earth. And you can see it. If you want to see a real example, Daniel was thrown to the hungriest of lions and he walked out unscathed. Now I ask you, go back to that question. 
Why did Darius not bring Daniel in when the plan was first brought to him? Could it be, church family, that God used the pride in a slip of the mind in a pagan ruler to do something far bigger than just what's in the life of Daniel? So what do you mean, pastor? Do you see the result of the passage? The emperor just sent out an edict that says, don't mess with the God of Daniel, who just so happens to be the God of all the Jewish people who are in exile, which means they have no political power or protection. The same people in whom God has not done disciplining and refining them so He can take them back to the promised land. The same people who aren't just a random hodgepodge of the, of, the, of the tribes of Israel, but specifically are the tribe of Judah, the Messianic tribe, and Benjamin, who have to go back to the promised land. And as we'll see in some coming chapters, who some 400-odd years later, through whom is going to come the Messiah, the one true deliverer. You see, under Nebuchadnezzar and in the ways that God used Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God provided from the king a protection, a religious protection for the people to preserve them, to refine them, to do his work in their lives in captivity. But, but Babylon's done. There's a new empire. There's a new danger to the Jewish people. And God allowed one of his most faithful servants to suffer so that through it, the king's eyes would be so open that he would issue a decree where once again there is a protection for the purpose of God for his people. Church family, how incredible that God is working out a plan that is so much bigger than any one of his servants. How incredible that God is working out a plan bigger than any one person's suffering and sorrow, that God is working, that God is moving, that, that, that the suffering of God's servants is never in vain and is often used to do things and bring about things that we could never do in our own power. Because understand, church family, at the heart of this passage, the message is clear. Our God alone is, is the eternal God. Amen. He alone is the eternal God whose dominion reigns with no beginning and end and who supernaturally acts to personally deliver His people while revealing Himself to a world that's in desperate need to know Him. Amen. All throughout this passage, church family, our God is the eternal God. Jesus has always been God. He always is God. He always will be God. He alone is God. Darius was not God. The officials were not God. There is no president today, no governor today, no congressman or woman today who, who is God. Only God is God. God was still God when the officials hatched their plan. God is still God as the king signed the edict. God was still God as Daniel prayed. God was still God as Daniel is arrested. God was still God as he was thrown in the lion's den and sealed to what they believed would be his fate. God is God always, whether we believe he is or not. He is the eternal God. He is the eternal God whose reign, whose dominion does not end. If God is the eternal God, then I've got news for us, church family, today. He is sitting on His throne, and He is really secure. He has no rival 
For there is no other triune God other than the one true God. His authority is over all things. He reigns when He is honored. He reigns when He's not honored. He reigns when we see Him. He reigns when we don't see Him. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, does not lose. He reigns when the haters conspired. He reigned when the king sealed a death sentence. He reigns when we are attacked, when we are arrested, when we are sentenced even to death. He reigns. And church family, we've got to know in lockdown that because He reigns, that is the basis for us to have deliverance and hope. If He doesn't reign or if He can be knocked off His throne, then, then there's not a lot to be hopeful about, but He reigns. And because He reigns, we can be confident that God is, in fact, working out a plan of redemption, His plan of reconciliation to seek and save men and women, born sinners outside of a relationship with Him, hopeless, without opportunity for deliverance, but for whom He sent a deliverer, a Savior, Jesus, whose name means God saves to live the life we fail, to die the death we deserve, to rise from the grave that would forever trap us, but not Him. We can be confident about what God is doing because He reigns. And as He reigns, understand our God is the God who acts with supernatural power to deliver His people. Listen, Daniel's plot, plight is not lost on God. God hears his prayers. He's not deaf to his prayer. He's not blind to his situation. Yet if you read through this passage, did you notice God's not mentioned a whole lot in the foreground? Understand, church family, there is never a time, no matter how hard things appear in your life or mine, there is never a time, whether it be the, the actual government coming after one of us or whether it be someone in your office or whether it be a classmate, a friend over social media who starts to attack you because of who you are in Christ. There is never a time where God is blind or deaf to it. There is never a time where God is not personally and intimately involved and aware of what is going on and what you face. It says in Psalm 139, we are on his mind more than the grains of sand on the earth, and I have done the math. It is literally like 900 billion times per millisecond, which means always, infinitely. It says in Matthew 6, he knows the numbers of hairs on our head. He knows what we need. He is aware of what we face, and so we should not worry or we should not fear. We understand he, he is aware, He is personal, He sees us. There is never a time where He is not deeply involved in our life, and did you notice when we face the lion's den, it's not just that God is working and God is up to something. But did you notice he didn't just close the mouths of the lions? It says he sent an angel. Now, some will say it was just a regular old angel. Some will say it was the angel of the Lord and say it could be the pre-incarnate Christ. The reality is the text doesn't really tell us. What it does tell me is this, and this is the point. God could have just shut the mouths of the lions and left Daniel in there all by himself. But God shut the mouth of lions and spent the night fellowshipping with Daniel. When you and I go to the lion's den as a follower of Christ, we are never alone, though the danger may be very real. Paul says, and I stood at that trial, nobody human was with me, but Jesus stood with me. As, Aunt, as Stephen was being stoned, there was no one around him stopping the stones from flying, but he looked up in heaven and he saw Jesus standing. There is never a time when you and I suffer 
that we are alone. And we need to understand, church family, that there are times you and I are going to face things, whether it be persecution for our faith or maybe, maybe it's a battle with some sin. Maybe it's a battle with grief and sorrow, things you've suffered, and it doesn't seem like anything in this world can bring deliverance or hope. Listen, that's part of the point of the passage. You and I are going to face real lion's dens that nothing in this world can bring deliverance from. Only God can bring the deliverance. Only God can rescue us from the weight of our sin. Only God can rescue us from from being outside of a relationship with Him. Only God can rescue us and seat us at His table. And as a child of God, only God can help you ultimately overcome and find the strength not to fall into temptation and sin. Only God can, can heal the grief that is your heart. Only God can give you the boldness and courage. We've got to understand our strength. It comes from only God because He alone is the personal deliverer of His people. Now, let me be clear before we move forward. Just because God rescued Daniel from the lion's den doesn't mean you're going to get rescued from whatever lion's den you find yourself in. God's deliverance is concerned far, far more with eternal and spiritual reality than it is sometimes our physical safety. Why? Because God is up to something bigger. God is up to something He is revealing Himself. He's the God who's eternally God. He's the God whose dominion, whose reign is without end. He's the God who personally acts to deliver His people. And church family, understand that God is working today to reveal Himself, to reveal Himself to us who seek to walk with Him faithfully as as Daniel had known Him in the affliction of His youth and now knew Him in the affliction of His elder age to reveal himself to a hungry world. Darius was open to seeing God. We don't know if he truly trusted God or not, but he at least got some part of the message. God is revealing himself to a world that's hungry, that needs to see. God is revealing himself to a world that doesn't care like the officials. God is revealing and he uses the faithfulness of his people to do so much more. So let me just ask us a question, church family. Are we willing, do we want our lives to matter for eternity's cause? Do we want God to actually use us? Or do we just want a happy, complacent life for the 70 to 90 years we get this side of heaven? Are we willing to be used by God? Are we willing to say, God, if you have to take me to a lion's den so that someone will see your message, I am willing because that's what you did for me and you have transformed me and are conforming me to be like Jesus. And some of us may say, well, yeah, Wes, I'd be willing if God used me. If God used me to save all the Jewish people, God used me to save all the Christians in a country, I'd be willing. That's great. Would you be willing if your suffering only meant to reach one? Jesus was, but I fear many times, church family, we're not really that serious about God using our lives. So we face the lion den and we begin to question, is God really God? Is is he really on his throne? Is he really with me? Is he really going to do anything? We begin to get tunnel visioned and only look at our own place. And and make no mistake, church family, I'm not saying Daniel went to the lion's den going, man, this is going to be the best night of sleep I ever get. Suffering's hard. But if we're going to be people used by God, it is a real reality. This is who God is. This is who God shows himself to be here in Daniel 6. So what is our response? Well, church family, our response is to trust him in fear and trembling. 
to trust Him in fear and trembling as we seek to serve Him in humility and faithfulness, persevering despite the fact that we live in a world that will hate us for our faith. We seek to trust Him. Listen, did you catch that? The key to Daniel, it says Daniel in verse 23, no injury was found on him. Why? Because he trusted in his God. And that word trusted, the idea is that I am trusting someone who is trustworthy. I am trusting someone who is trustworthy. What you find in Daniel, Daniel takes God seriously. God's your God and I'm not. God, you are the God you say you are, not the God I want you to be or God I would like to adapt you to be. God, you are the God you say you are, not the God my culture and other people running around in your name say you are. You're the, you're the God you say you are through your only authorized authoritative word. Amen. And I submit to you. I trust you. That's, that's what Daniel has done. He takes God seriously for who he is. Church family, understand today, our God must be taken seriously. He is not our buddy, though he is our friend. He is not our pops, though he is our daddy, Abba. He is the glorious, majestic, eternal, authoritative God, and we must take him seriously. We must take him seriously in holiness. If God says something's a sin, we got to start saying, you're right, God, it's a sin. That includes the things that are easy for us to call sin, and that includes the things we like to do that are sin, that we need to go, you know what, God, you're right, and I'm wrong. That includes the things we've heard the Bible call out time and time again. This is sin. This is a danger. Don't let your kids do this. Don't, don't indulge in this. Don't. And we just seem to ignore it. Look, church family, we've got to take God seriously for who He is in our holiness. There's a reason Daniel walked intimately with God, and part of it goes back to the fact that way back here in his youth, he said, you know what? I could find an excuse to eat the king's food, but I won't because I respect the law of my God. It's a small thing. No one's watching. No one will know or no one will care, but God is with me and God sees it, and I'm going to honor him in the small things before I ever come to the big things. We've also got to honor him not just in holiness, but in faith. Church family, he is trustworthy even when we don't feel He is. He is trustworthy even when we don't see His movement. He is trustworthy even when we don't understand what He is doing in and through our lives. There are going to be days you face stress and suffering as a child of God where you do honestly wonder, God, I know you say you're God, but I don't see it today. And the problem is not coming to that point. The problem is what you do from that point. Do you, do you like Job, like, like the great pillars of faith, take those honest hardships to God because you trust Him? And though the clouds may obscure your view of His glory today, you know His glory shining nonetheless. Or do you allow those hardships to creep into doubt and cause you then to in your doubt walk contrary to the Lord. Understand, church family, our God is the one true eternal God. His reign is without end. He delivers His children. He acts personally. He's working to reveal Himself. He is always this God, but we need to strengthen our hearts. He is this God when Peter's released from prison, and He is also this God when James was martyred the day before. He is this God when Daniel walked out of the lion's den, and He is this God when Stephen was stoned. 
He is this God when his children get rescued physically, and he is this God when Paul walked his last steps and they chopped his head off. He is this God when Jesus was crucified, and he is the same God when Jesus walked out of the grave. He is the same God when Jesus ascended, and he is the same God when he is coming back. He is a trustworthy God. We have got to trust him in fear and trembling. We've got to take him serious. And if we take him serious, then we seek to serve him in humility and faithfulness. Listen, did you notice Daniel, as he had previously been doing, there is a habit in Daniel's life where he is going to serve the Lord in humility and faithfulness regardless of the cost. Praise God, Daniel, when Darius came to him and said, Daniel, I'd like for you to step back into service. I know you're 80. I know you paid your dues. Praise God, Daniel didn't go, man, I don't know if I can, could I really be used? I'm kind of old. Nor did Daniel go, you know what, Darius? Appreciate your offer. I'm good. I've paid my dues. Listen, church family, there never comes a time as a child of God, if you're still living in this world, where we get to retire from his ministry or take summer break. We serve him faithfully. We serve him humbly. Listen, we don't do ministry for us. You don't, I use an example, you don't teach a Sunday school class so everybody will talk about how great you are as a teacher. And if that's why you do it, it's not, you're not doing it in humility. We serve to glorify God. We see what that looks like. What does it mean to serve and glorify God? It means walking with Him in the small things when no one's looking. No one knew Daniel. I mean, no, no, no one was praising Daniel for praying three times a day, but he was praying three times a day because the Word taught him to pray. So much so it's what got him, his faithfulness, catch that? Daniel's faithfulness got him arrested. He's faithful to refuse the king's table. He's faithful to pray. He doesn't slack. You notice back there at the beginning of the chapter, no corruption was found. Everything he did, he did with excellence. Church family, scripture's clear. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do all heartily as working unto the Lord rather than men. Listen, church family, you and I are not called to monasticism. We don't live lives away from the rest of the world. We live in a broken world. In a broken world where, not this summer maybe, but for you students, kids, you're going to have homework. In a broken world where you're going to get flooded at your office with emails to respond to. In a broken world where... You're going to have flat tires and have to deal with the tire place. In a broken world, we can go on and on and on. The things we're called to, reports we have to give, meetings we have to conduct, ways in which we are called vocationally and understand church family. God calls us to turn in every sheet of homework, to respond to every email, to turn in every report, to treat every person with absolute excellence as if we're doing it for him, not for anyone else. And you better believe in the world we're living in today, if we will commit ourselves to do that, there is a witness that will flow through that because we live in a world that is entitled, lazy, and self-centered. And the sad part is too often we are too. And this has got to be the witness of our lives. Proverbs says, many, man, many a man proclaims his loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? Church family, we better not talk the talk, we better walk the walk. Not only was it going to be working with excellence, serving God in humility and faithfulness is going to mean uh, going to mean working with excellence, doing all for His glory. It's going to mean seeking Him in prayer and petition. It's going to mean praying, being faithful to seek Him, getting on our knees. 
Listen, this week there was stress. There were some things that have hit my life where I, I was like, Lord, I don't even know how to pray and I'm trying to pray. And, and, I, and I'm, this passage was weighing on me that Daniel in the midst of being arrested, he went and prayed and gave thanks to God. And, and Lord, what can I give thanks? And there, it just was struggling. And, then it, and this is what I did. Right now, I, I, I'm, I'm from an emotional level struggling to thank you, God, but there is something objective I can turn to and that's the cross. Amen. I can thank you that regardless of how beat down I feel in this moment right now, Regardless of how many doubts swirl through my mind in this moment right now, the cross is real. Amen. And you are on that cross, and out of your holy love for me, you bled on my behalf. And I will praise you for that. If you can't find anything else to praise, praise for the objectivity of the cross and the resurrection. If you don't know what to pray, pray the Psalms. Many, many, wonder, many think that Daniel may have been praying Psalm 57. Go read Psalm 56. Go read Psalm 57. Go read Psalm 58. As you face the lion and let those things drive you to pray. Understand, church family, the fire of the lion's den will not create in us a faithfulness to God. It will reveal our love and faithfulness for God. And if we want to be faithful when the fire falls, then we've got to be faithful when it's quiet in the quietness of the ordinary. If we're going to pray when the, the pen hits the paper and the bill drops, then we need to be praying today. The problem is many of us are too busy to be faithful. We're too lazy to be excellent. We're too selfish to be used. And frankly, if we're honest, and I'm not exempt, we're too discouraged by disbelief to persevere. So we've got to trust Him in fear and trembling. We've got to serve Him in humility and faithfulness, all while understanding, church family, Scripture's clear. We're going to live in a world that the moment you are saved by the grace of God in salvation, the moment in that newness of relationship you began to follow Jesus, you have now been marked as different from this world. You now stand out distinguished because of the extraordinary Holy Spirit who lives within. You are no longer of this world, and because of that, this world hates you because it hates our King. It doesn't just generally dislike Him. It is abject, total hatred. Jesus says clearly in John Chapter 15, it says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, but you're not of this world, so the world hates you. In the same passage, though, he makes clear that the Father loves us, that he loves us, that the Holy Spirit will fill us and empower us and strengthen us and give us boldness and fellowship to go and live out in the midst of this world. And then having said all of this, he says, in this things, I've told you all of this so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And church family, we possess the ability today to walk with God faithfully in humility and boldness and confidence. We possess the ability to walk with Him today under the threat of the lion's den because of who He is, the eternal God whose reign is without end, the delivering God who personally acts in the life of His children, the revealing God who is speaking to a world. We possess the ability to walk with faithfulness. You know why? Because just as Daniel was thrown into the pit of death of the lion's den, so one greater than Daniel was thrown into the pit of a tomb, having been crucified on a cross. Just as Daniel's would-be grave was sealed with a stone, so one greater than Daniel was put in a tomb and sealed with a stone. And just as the king got up in the early morning to roll the stone back to see if Daniel might be living, so too there were once women who got up early in the morning, but when they showed up, 
They didn't roll the stone back. It had already been rolled away because there is one greater than Daniel who didn't survive the lion's den. He conquered death itself. And if we really understand that, then we will trust him in fear and trembling. We will serve him in steadfast faithfulness and humility. And we will persevere in spite of the fact that we live in a very real world who does not like the God who saves us. Oh, church family, we can walk with him faithfully in a land of exile. Church family, we can sleep and find rest and fellowship in the loneliness and dark of the lion's den because of who our God is. Father, we look to you. We look to you. Lord, I have no doubt there are many in this room who are facing all kinds of lion's dens. Lord, may we be emboldened and encouraged because of who you are. God, may we renew the perseverance in our life because of who you are. Jesus, you and you alone know each one of our hearts. And Holy Spirit, you are moving in this place. You know how you would call us to respond. It may be a call to response right now in this invitation. It may be something you call us to respond tomorrow morning and the next day and the next day and the next day. Faithfulness in the ordinary. Lord, however you are stirring our hearts, may we not be found complacent. But Lord, in an overabundance of joy, may we respond to you. It's in your name I pray, Jesus.